Thank you, thank you. Good evening. You know what Ross was doing there? He was just warning you um, that I'm not normal, I suppose. Uh, so good to be here and uh, in all sincerity, very humbled uh, to be up here, even right now, for some reason. I think the atmosphere is a little bit different to this morning. And uh, I feel God wants to do something, but I just first want to honor this house. Isn't, isn't this an amazing church? I mean, you should be shouting, yes, it absolutely is, if it's your church. If uh, you're visiting, then you should just politely say, yes, it is. But it's an amazing church because you have an amazing leader, an amazing leader. So I want to honor you guys. Thank you for your church because it's impacting our city, and we all live in the city, and we're better for it. And so thank you so much. Also, thank you for having me. I don't know what you were thinking, but it's too late now. Amen. We're going to pray, and then let's get on with it. Father, we just thank you for your presence. Undeserving, and yet we get it. And so I just pray that you would anoint this house, anoint this room to receive from you this morning. It's more difficult to, sp uh, to hear than it is to speak. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Lord is saying to this house, these lives, this night, because we believe you are able and you are willing in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would not let one laugh escape your voice, that everybody would receive, would get something. I thank you for the miracle of the Holy Spirit who is able to minister to every individual in a different way through one word. And so we just yield to the purpose of God this evening, and we thank you, God, that you are going to bring life and you are going to bring freedom in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so good to be here. I'm just going to put on my machine. Sorry. So, I'm doing the third part of the series that you're involved in. It's called, uh, the series is called, the series is called The Sacred Art of Not Caring. I didn't need to look. Isn't that amazing? But my, my title is called Careless About Perfection, But Avoid Being Average. I must say that this title is probably the story of my life and uh, the story of me becoming more and more free in God and more productive in God is realizing that actually I don't have to be perfect. Because I think we all live under something for years that calls us or puts an expectation on us to be right in different spaces in our lives. And when you get a revelation and understanding that you don't actually have to be that person that you've always been trying to be, what's going to happen is it's actually going to unlock you. It's going to make space to release the real you. And that's all that God wants to do. You know, the last thing Jesus wanted to do was come into our lives and then make, us hard, make it hard for us to serve Him. That's not God. That's another voice. That's another God. That's not the God that we serve. And His name is not Jesus. And so I want to invite you today to let go. I'm going to tell you two stories tonight, but before I tell you those stories, I, I really believe that there's just a presence here to do a few things. I feel one thing, if I can just say this very casually, don't want to get too deep or heavy, but I feel like these people in this room that are working very hard to maintain their relationships or relationship. They're having to live to a standard that's actually too high, and yet you're committed to it. God wants to release you from that tonight, because nothing good is heavy. Nothing good and of God, from God, 
causes us to labor in it. Amen. So God wants to set some people free. I want to tell you a story about my high school days. I was a poor kid who went to a private school. You know, that's a terrible, terrible repu- uh, recipe. So what that means is I endured six, uh, is it six? It's five years. I'm not sure. But obviously, you know, I needed high school. But I enjoyed all of my high school just feeling like I wasn't quite like everybody else. Private school, um, everybody had, I saw things, I saw cars, and I heard stories of houses and businesses and parents and all sorts that I never even knew existed. It was quite amazing. I had this friend, my best friend in grade eight, standard six, his name was Corboso Windler. He's from the Trans Transcar. Every Monday was the best day of the week for us because we would go. He was a boarder, I wasn't, but I was the poor child, so I got picked up late. And so I was able to be friends with the, board, the boarders. And, and so this boarder, every, every Monday after school, we would go to the bank to draw his pocket money for the week. It's the highlight of my weeks to go get his money. <laughs> And, uh, and so we would go to the bank, and we would draw his 40 rand. Now, I know that's not very impressive, but remember, we're talking like 28 years ago, so it actually was very impressive in my life. I couldn't believe it, but he actually tried to make it even more impressive. So he would draw the 40 rand, which is two 20 rand notes, and then he would take us into the bank, and he would go to the teller, and he would give the teller his, his 20 rand notes and say, can I have eight fives, please? So he, now he had eight, instead of two notes, he had eight notes. Do you know how more impressive eight notes are on your wallet than two? So when we walked out of the bank, we actually felt perfect. He felt perfect because he had a fat wallet. I felt perfect because I knew somebody who had a fat wallet. You know, all of our perfections, our understandings of what, what I really want and what I really need just comes from our perspective of living, where I live, where, how I view life, or where I view it from. So Gobo's uh, perfection wasn't like uh, Simon having a wallet in his hands. His perfection was, I want a wallet, and I want it full, and so I'm going to make a plan to get it there. My perfection, because of where I came from, was slightly different, but it was equally desirable to me. I wanted that moment just as bad. I don't really want to tell you about my grade 8 relationship, but what I do want to use my high school experience for is to, sh- to show you that there's actually a system in the world that starts in these kinds of uh, situations. So I grew up in high school watching things and learning about things that I didn't have. What they created in me was desire for those things. Desire for things that I don't have. So when I say desire, what I actually mean is a little bit of a drive, a, a deep desire. And, and I just want to say I'm a pastor now, as, as has been said, I still have a desire for things. And I don't think God has a problem with you wanting things. I, I haven't found it. I haven't read it yet. So I'm going to want things desperately until I find that it's wrong. And I, unless I don't have, I just might not have the eyes to see it. And you can come and share with me after you're in trouble, Simon. But having things is not the issue. The issue is not having things and thinking those things are going to make me feel better when I have them is actually living for the things that I don't have keep me driven until I get them. The problem with that is that when I get something, because often our goals are almost achievable or almost achievable. So two things can happen. The first thing is I can get it and I can realize that once I've got it, it actually hasn't made me happy. And so the the obvious thing to do is dream for something a bit bigger. Because surely if it's bigger, then it'll make me happy. Or I will not reach it and not reach it and not reach it and not reach it and actually grow up feeling like a bit of a failure and stop dreaming. Stop desiring. Stop wanting growth in my life. Both of those outcomes are wrong. 
God wants you to have and God wants you to dream. We got to be careful that we don't get locked into a system that keeps us wanting things while thinking that when I have them, life will be perfect. And I got to honestly say I grew up like that and I think I stopped growing up just this weekend. <laughs> because there's often something in my mind that I think she said, we just had that, babe. It'll be right for us. Everything would be sorted. But I've realized as much as we have, God's blessed us so much. I said this morning, our house is offensively big. It's wrong. In South Africa, I feel guilty about the property that we live on. It's a blessing from God. I just want to say disclaimer, it is a blessing from God. Like really an honest blessing because I can feel the struggle in the room. But, but, but actually, I've got this wife. She's amazing. Not this wife, my beautiful wife. <laughs> Uh, the best wife in Jesus' name. I have amazing kids. I've got four kids. I don't always know what their names are because there's four, and, and, but there's four and they're beautiful. And I'll eventually get their names. I, um, I will never get it wrong four times, but sometimes three, a third, a third try. But I love them. Has my oldest son, Ruben. He's going to help me just now. But all of this is living the dream. It's living my high school dream. And yet I can honestly say in front of my wife, while I'm happy to be in their lives and for them to be in mine, they haven't made me perfect. They haven't made me ultimately happy. They haven't satisfied my identity. I know you might find it's like your wife's right, yeah. So let me just tell you I'm desperately in love with my wife. I can carry on, but I won't because it's inappropriate. But but what I've realized is that they only have certain ability to contribute to my life and are to contribute to relationship. And we strive to have healthy, loving relationship. But, but they cannot fix me. They cannot fill any sense of lack in me. And so now I have it all. And I realize I need to set a new goal. But it's not perfection. Perfect is a trap, church. It's a trap. It's a system. It'll always let you down. It'll always keep you wanting more. Perfect is a trap. I've got another announcement. Average is not of God. God did not create anything and anyone to be average. But I'll tell you this. We must, exp uh, we must accept that along the way we might have become average. As I know, when God found me, I was super average. I was below average. I actually spent all of my high school years not just thinking I was below average, but being below average. Anybody heard of, uh, what's lower than standard grade? Lower grade. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's going to help this sermon, I promise you now. God uses anybody. But I spent my, my high school years being lower grade, below average. He didn't make me to be below average, but we become below average in a system that's always asking us for more. So Paul says this in, in the Bible. He, he starts to just warn us about a system. He says this, hey, uh, this is Col Colossians 2.20. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, whilst though you're living in the world, you subject yourselves to their rules, regulations, expectations, and everything it asks of you. Since you've been set free into something, why are we going back and slaving after something that we think is going to make us free? It doesn't exist. He asked the question. The second one, as Paul says in Romans 12 verse 2, it's not going to come on the screens, but he says, hey, he says, Be con do not conform to the pattern 
A pattern is a system. The pattern of this will but be changed or transformed by the renewing of your mind. He warns us, there's a system. The basic principles, they're low. I think there's a slide here of average. Can you put up the average slide? The system produces this base, low, weak, useless, unstable, temporal, unreliable. Without Christ, that's what we live in. We live in this system. It's designed actually to keep us down there, working hard, slaving for everything we get. It's not of God. Amen. There's a last scripture I want to just, it's not an encouragement. It's kind of a warning because that's how it's portrayed in the Bible. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 9 says this. So now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? I know it's a mouthful. Three scriptures all saying a similar thing, but I just want to make, I want to make one point and I want to try and make it as clear as possible. There is really a system to keep us average. There is really a, a spiritual reality that sets, up, sets us up to think in a certain way, to desire in a certain way, and actually to believe that certain things have the ability to make us happy or well. It's a system to stifle our future. That system's not of God. So all I want to say is don't get stuck in that because it'll keep you being a slave to things and things that you don't yet have. Amen. I'm going to tell you two stories. They're both biblical pictures. They're both candidates for the kingdom. The first is a rich young ruler. I don't know if you know the story. It's not going to come on the screen. I'm going to paraphrase my way through it just to make one or two points. But if you know the story of the rich young ruler, you will know that this guy, when he visited Jesus, he had everything going from him, for him. You know, this morning I actually suggested that he was kind of like, if you would close your eyes and picture someone perfect, he was kind of like Ross. He just was the guy. Everybody liked him. He had a great reputation. He had things. He knew things. He led people. He was a great example. And so this guy comes, not Ross. As they actually said, no, Ross is not that guy. So I had to go to somebody else. Um, sorry, I wasn't going to say that. I was actually program myself not to say that and now it's come out. But this guy comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good thing can I do to get eternal life? It's the, it's the question that we all live by. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do to get? And in this case, it's eternal life. So Jesus first says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. This is great news for us. So you can actually stop right now trying to be good. You can go home and tell your wife, I just realized there's only one that is good, so I'm going to stop trying to be good. That's a great point. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> so, so Jesus says, well, let's talk about it. If you do these things, if you do these things, then you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says, hey, you know what? I actually done those things. I actually do those things. Now, now the guy's telling us he actually thinks he's perfect. So what Jesus says is, oh, okay, if you want to be perfect, then go sell your stuff, sell, it to, uh, sell your stuff, give the money to the poor, and, and then come follow me. And the guy says, oh, sheesh, I can't do that. That's one thing I can't do. 
And so he actually walks away from Jesus, realizing that he's chased after a thing, that now having the thing he can't let go of because it is his perfect. It's a thing that he thinks makes him healthy and whole. And so he can't do it. So now, now the disciples, that would be you and I, are watching Ross and saying, Ross is walking away. If Ross can't get in, how am I going to get in? If that guy can't get in, I'm in trouble. So Jesus says, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus gives us the answer that beats all answers. He says, yeah, you know what? With man, it's impossible. But he didn't stop there. He said, but with God, all things are possible. That's great news, church. So I'm just going to go back to that. He says, with man, just getting in the door is impossible. But but we don't have to rely on man. Remember, an old system was all man. It was all my effort to get what I feel I need. He's introducing a new system. He says, I got, but I've got news for you. With God, not just salvation is possible, but all things are possible. I don't have a be, just a beginning for you. I have an, a whole future for you in God. And it's by the hand of God. It's of the impossible. It's a life, Ross has just said it. It's a life that you never thought you would live. It's coming to you in God. If you would let go of this chase to be perfect and just accept yourself and your need for Jesus. It's great great news because I can stop trying so hard to be all things to all men. So the first point is it's not what we do that gets us in and it's not what we do that keeps us going. It's who we love. It's who we serve. If we could actually just excuse ourselves from not being perfect and say, me, imperfect, I'm going to follow you who is perfect and able to bring me into my future. Can I hear a gentle Amen. Thank you, that's amazing. But this conversation does continue. And so, and so Jesus says this. He says, but, but, but I want to warn you, because even though I've given you good news, what's likely to happen, which is exactly what Paul is saying, is that you're going to enter into the kingdom, but you're going to live the way you always lived. And so he gives us encouragement. He says in Matthew 19, 29, if everyone, sorry, and everyone who has left their houses and their brothers and their sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, anyone who's done something like that will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit the kingdom, uh, the, uh, sorry, inherit eternal life. You know what my ears love in the Bible? A hundred times as much. I love those scriptures a hundred because I've already told you I want stuff. I, I don't know if it's wrong, but I want stuff. I have some stuff, but I don't have enough stuff. I want more stuff. I, I just got a new car. It's a second-hand car because I'm a pastor and pastors drive second-hand cars. I know that everybody, there's an amen in you for that. I know that. But anyway, so my, my wife crashed my car and I can't tell you that story. So I, praise God, I had to get a new car, which God actually blessed me with. It's a four by four Ranger 3.2, this, that, everything. But you know what it's actually done to me? This has made me want the new version of the one that I have. Because <laughs> I want stuff. And I haven't yet read, don't have stuff. <laughs> but in this scripture, it sounds a little bit like that. Because this is anyone who gives up house 
or family or property or wealth will have a hundred times more. So what is Jesus saying here? If you read the context of this conversation, what, I'm, what I think he's saying is, if you would stop following and chasing after those things as if they have the ability to make you perfect, you're going to find a hundred times more in me. See, that, that is an undoing, a complete undoing of the way we've been trained to live. Because no one told us that, that Jesus can give us a hundred times more if we just shift our value system. So Jesus is not here to take anything away. He's actually here to multiply what we have and who we are. But it just means that we have to look to the one who's able to add value and bring perfection to me and not to the thing that I thought could bring me perfection all the way through my high school years. It's a massive shift. It's not by what you do. It's by who you worship. So then he finishes this conversation. Then we're going to leave it. He says, so this is it. This is the new system. The first will be last in the system, and the last will be first. Now, I've never really got that scripture until this tonight. Not tonight. Last night. Is what he's saying is, in this system, not everybody's going to choose it. So you're going to get guys like Ross that you think. Sorry, buddy, but it's just, it's for the Lord. You're going to get guys that actually think because of what they're doing and who they are and what they have, they're actually an automatic choice to enter into not just life, but a hundred times more. But what Jesus came to announce is actually, I'm not after the one who thinks he's perfect. I'm after the broken boy in the back who thinks he's average. I've come for him. I've not just come to bless him and to save him. I'm not just about his beginning, but I'm about his middle and his end. I don't just want to make sure that he feels secure. I want to show him my kindness by blessing him and bringing him into all kinds of multiplication and I never want him to believe that it's because of what he's done that's brought him the life that he lives you know our life the testimony of our life is is naivety our, our marriage it's naivety we've just started from the beginning what do you want to do with your life we just want to love Jesus I know it just sounds really flaky but it kind of is like our philosophy <laughs> It's like, oh, you know, how are you going to buy that house? Oh, we're just going to trust Jesus. That's not true. That's actually my wife. She trusts Jesus. Uh, I live on property 24. <laughs> but our testimony, thank goodness, because it's not about what I do and how perfect I am, is that God just keeps on blessing. Because we've shifted into a new system that doesn't call for Simon and Cheslin to work their bums off to get everything they have. I know it doesn't sound right. I know there's going to be business guys here thinking, who are you? It doesn't work like that. I like, it does work like that. It does. And I'm going to show you at the end, we can all have, we can have differently. The next story, is everybody okay? Oh, God wants to lift the burden off you, church. He wants to lift the burden off our lives. The only reason we're having an adventure in our church now, very naive still, planting churches and, and like, anyway. The only way we can do this is because we've realized he's lifted the burden. And the first will be last, but the last will be first. And so, hey, well, I'll take first, especially if I don't have to work too hard for it. I'll just leave it there. 
So the second story I want to tell you is the story of this, this young man. His name is Mephibosheth. So aren't you lucky your name wasn't Mephibosheth? In one of the services that I asked everybody to repeat it, but I'm not going to do that to you today, um, tonight. Mephibosheth was actually Jonathan's son, Saul, King Saul of Israel, his grandson. And the highlight of his life is when his grandfather was dead and so was his father's. Not a great time to be alive in that family. He was the only one left of Saul's household. He was lame in both legs. Now, Jonathan and David had had this conversation before Jonathan died, and Jonathan said this, hey, don't only show me the Lord's kindness when I'm alive, but you need to show it to me even when I'm dead. Now, the Lord's kindness is not your kindness. It's not my kindness. I can be kind, but I can be otherwise too, same as you. But the Lord's kindness is, is extravagant kindness. It's not just a desire, intent to be kind to you. Now, I just hope you hear this because this is what, how God sees you and how He treats you. It's not just the intent to be kind because that's often our kindness, eh? It's, oh, so-and-so is just battling, hey? Let's just stretch out our hands, everyone. Let's bless that man today. That's, that's our kindness. The Lord's kindness is acts of kindness, demonstration of kindness that shifts people's realities. That's what God, the Lord, wants to put on us and share with us. So anyway, uh, is everybody okay? So, so, so Jonathan and David have this conversation, and then Jonathan actually dies, and David wakes up one day in 2 Samuel um, chapter 9, verse 1, and he doesn't wake up in the chapter, but he wakes up at the recording of that time, and he actually says, hey, I've just remembered, is there anyone in Saul's household that's still alive? And somebody says, well, I remember I bumped into Ziba. Ziba was his servant. I, I know he's still around. He says, well, bring me Ziba. So, so they bring uh, David Ziba, and Ziba comes along, and, and, uh, and he, David asks the question, hey, Ziba, is there anyone in Saul's household who's still alive? And Ziba says, yeah, there's Mephibosheth, but actually he's a cripple. Now, you know what he was saying, don't you? He was saying, yeah, well, there is somebody, but there's not really somebody. <laughs> he's, he's a person, but he's not a person. He's a person, but he's not fit for the king. And he actually doesn't deserve the presence or the audience of the king. So you can't be talking about Mephibosheth. But if you have to know, there is this lame kid. He's actually in Lodabar. You know, Lodabar means no word, no pasture, no food, no provision. It means dark place, isolated. He's actually, even now today, King David, I'm telling you, he's forgotten. So David, you know, David's a type of Christ. David says, well, bring Mephibosheth to me. So Mephibosheth gets there, and I'm going to pick up the story with you in verse 7. And uh, David says, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says, at your service, which is really just a religious answer because he's really not at anybody's service. He's not able to do anything for anybody because he's lame in both feet. But David says this, and God says this to us tonight. Don't be afraid, David. Uh, David said to him, sorry, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba. Oh, I love this. This is a payback. It's just beautiful. So he gets Zeba. He says, hey, Zeba, remember the blame boy? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen now. I've given him all of Saul's land. You're going to farm it, harvest it, and then bring it to the cripple and his son. Not just you, but you and your 20 sons. Zeba must have been fuming. 
at this moment because he was still in an old system. And in the old system, lame people did not eat at the king's table or own land. Amen. But you see, when the Lord's kindness takes a hold of us, these are the things that start to happen. I'm going to move on with this now. Can you put up the slide of perfection? See, this is what perfection, because God's goal for your life is perfection. But it's not outward perfection, it's inward perfection. It's actually the perfection of Christ taking a hold of your life and becoming who you are. When God gets hold of you, His kindness to you looks like He gives you an inheritance. He gives you a promise. That means everything that was lost will be restored to you. Everything that was for you, that you lost somewhere in our life of sin, will come back. He'll give you identity. You'll know who you are. John 1 says in the Message Bible, actually, in Him, you'll become the real version of yourself, the best version of yourself. You'll be loved, accepted. You'll know God's kindness. You will be loved again, the double love, and, uh, and you'll know God's provision. It's awesome, that double thing. Sneaky, hey? <laughs> this is the picture of the gospel. I'm going to try and demonstrate it for you. I've got my son here. Come, boy. So, so when you got saved, I don't know if you know, but he didn't say, right, bless you. Now come, walk, work, earn. No, 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 he didn't do that. He saw you as a lame Mephibosheth and he picked you up. I can't pick my son up. He's 10 now and he's too big for me. But just, he picked you up. He seated you at the king's table. Not any table, but the king's table. I don't know who you are, what you've been in, where you're at, what you're in right now, how you think about yourself. But I want to tell you when you got saved, Jesus doesn't see those things. What he did is he actually sat you down with princes. He let you eat at the king's table. He didn't just do that. But actually in Isaiah, I'm going to find the scripture now. In Isaiah uh, 61 verse 10, it actually says that he clothes you with clothes of salvation and he adorns you with robes of righteousness. What does that mean? Is that even when you're broken, even when you're still dirty, even when, you, when you're, you're still in your stuff, you've, you've put your faith in Jesus, what he does is he puts righteousness on you. You know what righteousness does for you? It means that now in Christ, you have a right to everything. All the promises, all the blessings, all the future, not because of what you've done or who you're becoming, but just because of Jesus. He clothes you with robes of righteousness. There's another scripture. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Everybody okay? This is the gospel. He sets them among princes. Uh, uh, what does this say? Placing them in seats of honor for the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. I love this. Do you know that when you got saved? If you saved it, you know when you put your faith in Jesus, if you've done that yet, you know what Jesus is essentially saying to you? Not just that I've rescued you, but actually that I honor you. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But he doesn't think of you. He doesn't look at you like, whoa, look at the imperfection on you. He puts himself on you. And then he says, actually, I honor you. So righteousness is not a game. It's not a thing. It's not a fake. It's not something that doesn't exist. It's very real. And we obtain it just through faith in Christ Jesus. And when we make that decision, He robes you with salvation. He robes you with righteousness. He sets you in seats of honor. You know what I love about the Scripture? It actually says, for the earth is the Lord's and He sets everything in order. You know that this Mephibosheth, the lame boy, who's of no good to the kingdom, he's of no good. You know, often we'll get hold of somebody and we'll say, well, I can use him. Let's put him at the table. But actually the demonstration of Mephibosheth is that he's of no good to the kingdom and that doesn't bother God. He actually is happy to take someone broken who will never serve God in the way that he might could. And he will still bless him. He will still love him. He will still change him. He'll restore him. He is still here him. It's amazing. This is what your story is. He's lifting the burden of being perfect because He's perfect for you. 
But he does sit you at, at, at the king's table. Now, you know what happens at the king's table is you talk to people that you didn't used to talk to. You talk to kings and princes. You know, when the conversation changes, you change. It's very, very true. If you want to change, stop hanging around with, you know, at prime time, we'll just say the word, but yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but you can't say you want to change. You can't actually say, I want to enter in and still hang around and still do and talk. and Because your conversation determines your level of existence. So he brings us to the king's table because he wants us to know that the conversations I'm having with you are not just to honor you, but actually to change you. And change is huge. Now, the beauty of the story is that as the story goes on, David goes through all hell and he gets into this thing with his son Absalom and they have a big feud and, and Absalom actually steals the, the kingdom and, and David's banished. And Mephibosheth's left behind and, you know, good old Zeba follows after David and they bump into each other in the, in the wilderness somewhere. I'm just saying the wilderness. I don't know where it is. And, uh, and, and of course, David says, hey, where's Mephibosheth? I just say the kindness, kindness, uh, gives birth to sons. You want to have spiritual sons, any kind of sons in your life? You try being kind to them. You see, with the church, we're, I've got three minutes. We talk about grace a lot, and we believe in it. Tonight is essentially a grace talk, isn't it? It's by faith, uh, by grace through faith. It's nothing to do with what you've done, lest you boast. So we talk about this, but what we're not doing is we're not picking up Mephibosheths. What we're not doing is, is putting lame people at the table and saying, right, I'm going to bring you into my conversation with the hope and the dream that my conversa even my conversation might change you. Because we're not taking a chance on people. I was in Malaysia last year in October. I went to a conference and uh, I heard somebody speak on this. And they had a simple picture of the table and bringing up sons and putting them at the table. And, and, he, and I felt God say to me, in a moment, there's people in your church you need to take a chance on. There's people that we've overlooked that we need to stop overlooking. Because imagine Jesus overlooked you. Imagine. I don't know where I'd be. I'd be at probably at Gobble's house asking him for something. <laughs> so the story of Zeba and, and I'm going to end now. Zeba and Mephibosheth. So when Zeba bumps into David, Zeba says, yeah, Mephibosheth, a lame kid, he stayed in Jerusalem with Absalom. And David's like, not cool. I tell you what, Ziba, you, the land I gave to him is now yours. Injustice. Amen? So this feud ends and David's restored to the kingdom. And uh, David eventually bumps into, in fact, uh, Mephibosheth was one of the first people that came back to welcome King David. And of course David said, where were you? How could you abandon me after I was so kind to you? And Mephibosheth, um, let me just get my place here. Mephibosheth says, no, 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 I didn't abandon you. Zeba took the donkeys. Zeba took the horses. I couldn't get, I'm a cripple. I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't get to you. I wanted to be with you, but I couldn't do it. So, so, so David says, I thought this was David. I think it was God. But David says, okay. I didn't realize that. So I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll divide the land. Zeba can have half and you can have half. Now that doesn't sound fair. If, you, if you're following the story, I know that I understand if you can't, if you're not, because that's me, not you. Um, but basically the land was given to Mephibosheth. 
Then he was accused of actually being a deserter. So it was given to Ziba because Ziba lied. And then when David heard Ziba lied, he said, okay, well, then you can share it. So not right. But listen to Mephibosheth's answer here. He says, let Ziba take everything. Now that my lord, the king, has returned home, I'm happy. So, so here's the deal. Don't give me my, your phone. So I leaned over to Chester and said, remember these two points. She said, write them down, Robin. <laughs> so Ziba and Mephibosheth had the same material wealth. The difference was this. One had to lie and cheat for it. The other did nothing. One couldn't live without it. The cripple who had been treated kindly didn't need it. You see, church, that's perfection, not average. Ziba had everything that Mephibosheth had. And I always thought, wow, 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 oh God, David, what is going on? I think God wants to show us, you can have stuff. You can have stuff, you can have, you can, we know you can build a, a huge life for yourself with lots of things. But I can give you stuff as acts of kindness. But what you'll find my kindness does to you is you'll end up more in love with me than your stuff. And you'll be in a place where you don't actually need your stuff. I was driving here tonight. I felt God say that to me. And in a scary way, I feel like he's saying that to my wife and I. I haven't even told her yet, but I'm just about to tell her now what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> See, because that's perfection, church. It's a fruit of a completely different system. But if we are, get stuck like Paul warns in an old system, we'll never be able to let go, and eventually we'll do anything to hold on to it at any expense. Let's stand. I don't know if Nicole's, Nicole, if you, it's too late, but it's never too late. I just want to just, before we rush out of here and get our 15 rand cappuccino, which by the way, is nothing. I'm offended at that price because at our church, we pay, I think, at least 25 22. I do a flat white. 27 bucks. It's just wrong. I'm going home. We don't have a complaints box, but we're going to have one tonight. And then we're going to destroy it tomorrow after I put my complaints in. God wants to lift the burden, church. Because it's not about what we have. He can do. He can have. You can have stuff. Isn't it a blessing to know that we serve a God who wants to bless us? Oh, what a relief for a guy like me who likes stuff. But the joy is actually the goal, the win, the prize is that Jesus is developed in me. That stuff and the world and things and people and goals and dreams that are outward, they don't become my goal. That what peace looks like what wholeness looks like, what healing looks like, what the real you looks like is I don't need stuff anymore. I'm so happy. I'm so free. I'm so light. I feel like I can do anything in God. 
And that's exactly where God wants you. I want to pray for two groups of people. Close your eyes. I want to pray for people who have forgotten about their dreams. They no longer think about what, they want, what God wants to use them for. You might have forgotten long ago because you've been disappointed and nothing's happened for so long. I want to just bring you, invite you into a different system, a kingdom system, where it's not based on what you do, but what He wants to do through you. He wants to lift the burden of your purpose and He wants to give you a grace to begin to move towards it. If that's you, just raise your hand. You know, God called Moses, I mean Abram, and He said, I've got a plan for your life. It's for you to be great and be famous. The thing about greatness is He makes greatness in us. That's the great. So Father, I just thank You for these people who've responded, hands raised, doesn't matter how, how, but I thank You that there are dreamers in this room. There, There is purpose in this room. There is change and transformation in this room. I pray, God, that You release it right now, very simply, a new grace for a new season in Jesus' name. I also want to pray for those of you, every eye closed, who know that you've never really made a clear commitment to Jesus. Been to church, been on and off, been in here for whatever it might be, but you've never made a decisive, definitive, my life will change commitment to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity very quickly just to raise your hand. That's your admission of faith. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, be bold. This is it. This is your life. It's your future. It's actually your choice. I choose the kindness of God over the works of this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've raised your hand, I'm going to ask you every other eyes closed very quickly. Raise it again so I just know who's here, who's responding. That's awesome, guys. We're going to pray together. This prayer is your admission of faith. What you're saying is, Jesus, I believe. I can't live this life alone, and I don't want to live this life alone. Let's pray. Everybody together, pray after me. Dear Father God, We thank you for your son. We thank you for what he's done. He's lifted the weight of my sin by his blood and his death. We remember tonight that he died, he was buried, but he rose to life again. And today he is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Jesus We invite you to rule and to reign in our lives. Holy Spirit, we receive you tonight. Fill us afresh. Lead us, guide us, and have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You guys are amazing. Guys, that was... He just schooled us on how to preach. That was phenomenal. If you've got friends who live anywhere near Pine Town, please re- make sure they go there. Can I, I'm going to pray for you. Just, here's the thing. When you find other churches that are doing exceedingly abundantly more than you, you thought was possible, just like bless it. Then you get some of it too. And you, Father, I just thank you for Simon. I, th- I thank you, Lord, for his humility, for the grace on him. We acknowledge it, and we ask God that you take what he's doing and, and you hundredfold it. In every single aspect, I just thank you for how he's deposited something beautiful in our church. We acknowledge it and want to say, have your way in him. Amen. Amen.